Hello and welcome to Lord of the Rings Minute, the daily podcast where we analyze the movie The Fellowship of the Ring one minute at a time. I'm Norman Mitchell. And I'm Cassandra Fredrickson. And today we're going to be talking about Minute 59, which starts with our our watchman saying, what's more out of the Shire by your talk, and ends with us just turning around with the camera to kind of establish the bar. Yeah. The Prancing Pony. Yeah. Which is a really pretty sign. It is. It's very lovely. It's a very nice sign in an otherwise very run-down town. I like that the font is the same as Bilbo's handwriting. Yeah. <laughs> it's a nice touch. But that's probably because, like, the all the calligraphy was done by one guy. No, yeah. No, I just think it's really funny. Yeah. That's like the Lord of the Rings font. Yeah. Which it's is like cool. like the default. Which, you know, you don't really see a bunch of writing. I mean, it's been, like... 30 minutes since you saw, like, no admittance on party business. At, yeah. Like, at least 30 like 40 minutes. 40 minutes. Um, but I just think it's funny. Yeah. I've always thought it's kind of funny. Yeah. It almost looks like it should be a unicorn, but it's a pony. But it's a pony. It's like a little, like, reared up, like, white pony. What, like the last unicorn? Yeah. <laughs> you know, whatever. Fantasy stories. Yeah. Uh, so... This is the first of the three Peter Jackson cameos in his own movies in this trilogy. Yeah, the weird pig snorting man. The guy that turns around, he's got the carrot. There's like Why the does pig, he have a carrot? The pig snorting yeah. noise. Or like, a, or like, I always, I've always kind of imagined it more as like a burp. Oh, I've always Like he's just was... some like gross man on the street that just like turns around and is just like, whoa, belches. It, it sounds like a pig, like a pig. Yeah. Like a bubbly, grunty noise. It's gross. Yeah, it is kind of gross. No, make me sad. And apparently, the director on the day here on the set didn't know that Peter was going to go do that. The he just the I think he's the second unit director. I can't yeah. remember his name. Uh, Peter just like left set <laughs> and came back in an outfit. Well, there's a difference between the director and the director of photography. Yeah, he just didn't tell anybody. That he was going to go do it, and then just left and got in costume, came back, and like hung out on set with his back turned. And then just when the camera went by him, he just like turned around. <laughs> Surprise. <laughs> Surprise, I'm here. It's my birthday. Wait, is it still his birthday? I don't think so. Oh. I think it's filmed later. So, yesterday we're talking about how Bree, the outside of Bree is like a facade. So, like, outside the gate, I'm pretty sure, is, on a, is in a studio somewhere. But then... The inside of Brie, like outside of the Prancing Pony, but beyond the gate, yeah. was built on a military base. Oh. So it was built on the backside of a military base, and they just kind of like nailed these facades of the buildings to it, worked up the ground how they wanted it to be, and then mm -hmm. like populated with the extras. And the, the background beyond Where a certain point up. is a matte painting. Oh, okay. That makes sense. That's yeah. cool. Yeah, so like there's uh, there's some behind the scenes photos and like a little bit in videos of them all set up around this back lot of the military base with like the light shining down and the rain machine. I love the feel of a back lot, like when you can tell, yeah, that it's not on location. It's just kind of I don't know. I always like back lots because they feel larger than life, and this is literally larger than life. Yeah, well, no, th this is a slightly oversized set, I think. Because we see the people, like, walking around on stilts. Yeah, but the buildings are really tall, too, so it's got to be And they're, scale. like, leaned in. Yeah. So, like, it feels imposing and, right. and alien and, and foreign. claustrophobic. Yeah. So I think this is, like, the first time we see, like, the big rigs is in this minute. Like, yeah. Like, the people on the stilts with, like, so, the fake pants. Yeah. 
kind of they go into detail in one of the uh, featurettes in the back, the appendices yeah. about the big rigs, but it's literally like those stilt walker people with giant hands. Yeah. With like yaoi hands. But they're like, <laughs> they have like more structure to them because they have like the wider shoulders and stuff too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then like a person just like gets inside and buttons up the shirt. It looks, the two that pass them specifically. Yeah, just look like street performers. Yeah, they, they look. If you just look at it, for, and you don't see them for more than a few seconds, which is perfect yeah. for, you know, movie magic. But for yeah. this, they look really silly. A camera can never focus on them because yeah. they're so, like, they they're, they really are kind of out of proportion. And especially when they're moving, you can just see that it's not right because the knees don't move. Yeah, their legs are absurdly long. Yeah. It's kind of freaky. And I guess the, the most... The most common used person in a big rig is like a five-foot-tall gymnast named Rebecca Fitzgerald. <laughs> That's funny. Like walking by and you can like see like the chest. So there's like, like, I think it, it's, I think it's next week. It's the next one week walks by with a beard. Yeah. With the hands. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the hands that don't move. In the background. Yeah. Yeah. I think that is next week. Um, I think it's funny that they had to find a short person to play a tall person. Yeah, they had to find a short person to get in the thing that makes someone look tall. Yeah. Yeah. It's really funny. Granted, they found, like, a tall person to play a short person with... With uh, Johnny Stavis. Yeah. So. Yeah, you're six foot six. Do you want to play <laughs> someone who's supposed to be, like, four foot nine? Yeah. Right. If that... I'm actually not sure how tall Gimli is. Because Thorin is supposed to be of noble dwarf blood, and they're supposed to be taller than regular dwarves. And Gimli is... Not related? They're in the same, like, clan, aren't not, they? They're not related. He's not related to the line of Durin. Right. So. He's probably related to, like, one of the one of the ladies that married into the line of Durin Well, because his father goes on the quest, so. Right. But not all of them are um, Thorin's kin, right? Or are they all? Well, Feely and Kili are the only other ones of Durin's no, line. No, right. But, like, um, like I, Balin and Dwalin. I don't know. I think they're maybe they're a lot of them are supposed to be like cousins with each other. I don't know if others of them are also cousins with Thorin. Yeah. So if Thorin's four foot ten, which I know this because my mother is four foot ten, and yeah. I always tell her that she's as the, tall as the Thorin hot dwarf, Shield. the hot dwarf in The Hobbit. But <laughs> um, so Gimli's probably like what four foot eight, maybe, and the hobbits are supposed to be like three foot. Supposed to be roughly half the height of a man. So. So if a, if your average man's like five ten six foot, then the hobbits are supposed to be like, like three feet tall, three foot, and then dwarves are like a foot, a little over a foot taller than hobbits. Yeah, because the old took is is unique because he's like, or not the old took, the one that invents golfing. Yeah, isn't he supposed to be like? He's supposed to be like fairly tall for a hobbit. Yeah, as well. he's super tall for a hobbit, and I like how. In the exposition in the book, they talk, they, he tells you a little bit about Brie, like, you know, like, this, these are the men of Brie, you know, they're more familiar with hobbits and dwarves because, you know, they live on the outskirts of the Shire and yeah. they're at this crossroads and it talks about how there might be some, quote, Brie blood in uh, the, uh, the Brandy Bucks. Yeah. So the Brandy Bucks are a little taller too because they might have some. Some hobbit got, got together with a, a, a man. Right. And then Merry and Pippin turn out to be, like, the tallest hobbits on record because of something that happens to them later in the story. Right. 
Which we will get to yeah. eventually. <laughs> and the two towers. <laughs> so a brandy buck and a took turn out to be the tallest objects in history anyway. Right. I so mean, that's kind of cool. That's In a way, I wonder if that's like foreshadowing. Well, no, like not necessarily like, intentionally dropping the, dropping the idea that like Tooks, uh, like the Brandy Bucks are like taller than other hobbits. I think the the Took information though is in the appendices. Yeah, because it talks about it talks at length about their family trees. Yeah, so and how like the Tooks and the Brandy Bucks and the Baggins are all like in, intertwined. Yeah, all that sort of stuff. Oh yeah, well when we get there we'll talk about the dwarves, but that's stuff for another five years. So <laughs> <laughs> that's not for a while. Yeah. More dwarves. It just occurred to me that their family tree would be ba- be in the back of the book, hopefully. Yeah. I don't remember if The Hobbit has a bunch of appendices, though. I don't think so. No. has a little bit, I think. Yeah. Well, There's a little stuff at the end. We'll figure it out. It's not like The Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Very different. Tell me about it. Not as much extra material. <laughs> as much as Peter Jackson would like to think otherwise. Let's focus on this movie. I love this movie. I do love this movie. <laughs> I like his cameo here. It's just so random. Like. Because it it's a blink and you'll miss it kind of cameo. Also, think, it's not super obviously him unless you know it's him. Yeah, I guess so. It is a little. But once you know it's him, it's very overt. It's like, oh, there he is. Like, it's not. I think, honestly, I think my favorite cameo in all six of these movies is the Stephen Colbert one. Oh, yes. Uh, because that is a very, like, I think they don't, they don't really focus on him for as long as Peter Jackson, or if they do, it's, like, exactly the same, like, kind of, you know, few seconds. Also, it's, like... Isn't you know, it's it also moment. raining yeah. in Lake Town? Yeah, I think so. For that, too? I think so. I've never really put together that this scene and that scene are very similar, but I guess they are. Yeah, I mean, Lake Town... Yeah, Lake Town in those movies really kind of feels like Brie. Yeah. Like you're ex- exploring more of Brie. But Brie, like, Brie in the book is not as scary. Yeah. As they paint it in this one. They because... want it to be threatening because it's, they want it, because it's your first introduction to the world outside of the Shire. And they want to paint, like, the well, world no, as threatening not. to the hobbits? It's not, because we have Gandalf on his quest. But it is for the hobbits. Yeah. Well, through the perspective of the, like, the hobbits. And we've only really seen Gandalf, like, briefly in a library in Gondor and in and Orthanc. And Orthanc was threatening. Yeah. Orthanc is a really threatening, imposing-looking building. So, like, everything we've seen outside the Shire has been kind of painted as imposing and threatening well there's that shot of gondor too nestled into the mountains right. and that's really yeah and that's like and even that's like painted as not a happy positive thing because it's like a somber point of light next to the dark scary mountains right right so they're trying to really paint everywhere outside the shire is like imposing yeah which is important to establish like there's a threat out in the world so the world needs to be kind of Scary. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know. I, so this, 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 uh, portrayal of Brie, though, I'm kind of, because we are with the hobbits again. Yeah. And we are kind of viewing it not through their eyes, like specifically or literally, but they are our, like, 
narrators as you if you will and i'm really interested in the um like the untrustworthy narrator um right thing yeah where you have uh like a narrator in fiction or like my my go-to example is catcher in the rye yeah and i know you haven't read catcher in the rye but it's but even like even in in um third person like written stuff because catcher in the rye is first person but even third person like limited which a lot of fiction is because third person omniscient is really annoying um a lot of dickens novels are written in third person omniscient which works for dickens I mean, but a lot of tolkien kind of is yeah but you you tend to focus on a character and see the world through one character's perspective even if it's not literally like hello my name is Katniss Everdeen and I live in district 12 blah 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 you know I haven't read those either that is also first person which is why I couldn't finish it because it was kind of annoying mm. but <laughs> that's just me but I like be ready for the for the people like oh I, no I like right. I liked the Hunger Games a lot yeah. I love the Hunger Games I just couldn't finish the other two um, so I like the fact that, that, um, trope, I guess, I don't know, or that unreliable technique. narrator. Yeah. The unreliable narrator. Harry Potter is a very unreliable narrator. Yeah. And I, oh man, I, I love to talk about Harry Potter as an unreliable narrator, but in the context of this, like the, the choices to portray Bree, it be because it's we're viewing it from the hobbits perspective the hobbits in themselves are also unreliable narrators because you know in the book brie is a pretty you know legit town the men are you know hardy but they're also pretty jovial and you know friendly they right like they get drunk and sing songs together in the books in brie right they're they're welcoming of other races or at least tolerant of other races because if they do dealings with hobbits and hobbits live in brie too but we don't see any hobbits in brie at least in this yeah and you know the dwarves come through there so and and the guy's surprised that there's even hobbits showing up in the middle of the night right so i just think it's interesting how that translates from not necessarily from the source material but from like a technique that's used by writers and it translates through a director into the big screen i mean yeah i i can definitely i definitely see that interpretation of this yeah. as like trying to inter- like trying to not necessarily paint this how it really is but kind of how the hobbits are feeling about it yeah and that it also works for the shire too because the shire is so much it's larger than life yeah. in a completely different way yeah uh Peter and Fran and Philippa talk about that a little bit throughout these commentaries mm-hmm. and how they're trying to the only thing they really wanted to paint as being being idyllic was the Shire. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We've talked about that a lot. So that it's like, that's the thing worth fighting for. Yeah. So then everything else is painted in a, like either a really somber or a, or a scary or a negative light because well, um, the rest of the world needs to be threatening to that one point of light you're fighting for. What about the elves though? They're somber. Rivendell's awesome. Well, I mean, but Rivendell's Rivendell is- also like. Rivendell's all painted in like oranges and it's like fall and there's all there's just an inherent sadness in the way that elves carry themselves. I 
I don't know. I don't. I disagree. I think like Elrond's not happy. Elrond ain't happy about anything. Arwen's. Elrond Arwen hasn't been his... happy about anything since Ilsildur didn't listen to him. That's true. He's just been carrying around that bitterness for three thousand years. Elrond is like. I mean, he's not as grumpy as, like, Thranduil, but... Yeah. Elrond, and we talked about this um, with the elves, but when we, we saw the elves passing through the woods, but, like, it's the end of an era for them. Yeah. So he's going to be grumpy, but, I mean, I don't really get, like, a sadness vibe from Rivendell. I mean, maybe sadness isn't like the quite, like, isn't really the right word, but there is kind of an inherent sadness in like elvendom in this movie. Because they carry themselves like they're so apart from the world and they don't really want to be. They are, though. Which is actually like the fatal flaw of elves is that they don't really want to be separate from the world because the elves that stayed in Middle Earth stayed because they love it, even though they can never really be a part of it. It's like the crystal gems. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> but, like, that's part of the inherent sadness in elves is that they can never really be a part of the world that they love, that they gave up, like, the immortal, perfect world that they left for. And now they're going back and they don't want to. Well, no, I thought the wood elves. Some of them do want to. The high elves, like, Elrond's like, come on, let's, let's just go. Let's, let's, let's case go. this joint and leave. Like,. <laughs> yeah. But, like, the elves that stayed in Middle-earth stayed because they love it. I get more of a welcoming vibe from Rivendell. Lothlorien <laughs> is definitely sad, sad. But that's also tinged by the fact that, you know, Gandalf died. Sad, yeah. But, I mean, Galadriel herself is a really sad person. I wouldn't, say sad she's, character. I wouldn't say she's sad. I She's very aloof, which is different. Which is different. I mean, I don't. I think Kate Blanchett comes across as very sad. We'll get there. I respectfully disagree. That's fair. About all the elves things that you just said. Oh. <laughs> well. I'm super into elves, so. Yeah. I mean, we're coming at it from different right. things because, anyway. I I mean, I I approach the elves and like how I think of them is very much colored by the Silmarillion. Right. So. That's a thing. But yeah, there's not really much of this minute other than like seeing the bar for the first time. Oh, we don't really I get wanted to talk about the first line. Um, because. Oh, yeah. Like, you're from the Shire by your talk. Yeah. Says so that, the guy with the most obvious accent in the movie that, so far. Well, no, that must mean that Shire hobbits have Like, an talk accent. differently, yeah. I think it's cool that there's regional accents. Right, even if it's something that, like, to us, because you have the regional accents in the Shire. In theory, yeah. That well, yeah, we, because like, you know, hypothesize. Well, yeah, be- well, because Pippin's Scottish. Uh, yeah, Pippin and Mary kind of have this, you know, Scots-Irish thing going on, and right, and Frodo is like more high class. Frodo is very, and then much, Sam's a little like, lower. Yeah, Frodo is like posh, right. like English accent, right. and or at least he tries to. And be. then Sam's a little lower class, and yeah. then this Watchman is like not quite Cockney. Yeah. <laughs> So I think it's cool that they're establishing that uh, I've just never, I don't think I've ever really processed that line before. Yeah. Because it's implying that the the main characters have an accent that's different. Yeah. Even though 
to someone who's not used to listening to a lot of like British accents, you might not even notice the difference between well, some no, of them. No, it's not even British accents. I'm talking about like the difference between Hobbits and Bree and Hobbits in the Shire. Yeah. Well, the way that this movie treats it, it almost treats it like the Hobbits don't live in Bree, but they sometimes pass through. Yeah. But then how would you like if all the Hobbits lived in the Shire? Yeah. So, but must, I mean, there must be Hobbits in Bree. Yeah. But by Shire, he might also mean further away than, like, the Brandy well, like Bucks Hobbiton? and the Tooks. Yeah. He might also mean further away than the Brandy Bucks and the Tooks, because they almost certainly go to the Bree more, go to Bree more often. You know? Because yeah. they're closer. Yeah. So he might mean, like, he might be specifically talking about Frodo, because Frodo's the only one that's talked to him. Frodo's the one that, like, we're looking for the prancing pony. We want to stay at the end. That's our true. business is our own, which is also a good line. Well, no, he says that after he asks. Yeah. But that, but yeah. But he, he's the one that, like, talks when the guy first opens the little people. Yeah. So he might be referring specifically to Frodo's accent. That's true. I don't know. I've just never really processed that line before, and I think it's a kind of cool world world building. Yeah. World building. Yeah. World building. I, I think it, I think he might be more specifically talking about Frodo, though, just in because the Brandy Bucks and Tooks are nearby. Well, nobody... And to us, the audience... The Tooks and the Brandy Bucks have a very different accent than the people in Hobbiton. Yeah. And Frodo's the only one that spoke. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Because. Yeah. Because Merry and Pippin don't speak in this scene. Right. So. Cool, cool. And then. Uh, yeah, but the accent's pretty consistent with the characters in Bree, though, because the next guy from Bree that talks has a very similar accent to this Watchman. We get to talk about him. Tomorrow. Tomorrow. One of my favorite, like, really minor characters in this movie. So you can find us on DuelingGenre.com, email us, contact at LordOfTheRingsMinute.com, Twitter at L-O-T-R Minute, Tumblr, L-O-T-R-Minute.tumblr.com. We're on Facebook, iTunes, where you should leave us a ringing endorsement and a five-star review. Hey, ringing, ha-ha, woo-hoo, puns. <laughs> yeah. uh, also on Dueling Genre, you can listen to The Doctor's Companion with hosts Scott, Nick, and Cassandra, Back to the Future Minute with Scott and Nick, Geek by Night, the fictional audio drama, which is awesome. Uh, that the three of them also work on and the newest member of the dueling genre family moving right along with their story harry potter minute if you'd like to support us or any of the dueling genre network you can go to duelinggenre.com slash support for our patreon we also have a one-time donation button as well as merchandise and as always a special thanks to our patreon associate producer leaper 182 bye bye